Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. This is Stephen Robles and we have a great interview coming up with a special guest, John Stone Street. And before we get into that, I want to mention impact360.org and it's really fitting because John Stone Street, our special guest, actually teaches on one of the online courses for Impact 360. So if you go to impact360.org, look at their online courses and check out their worldview course. John Stone Street himself is actually on that course. And so we encourage you to check it out. And when you do, remember you can use the promo code FREEMIND for $25 off any of those online courses. So we encourage you to do that. That's right. $25. Now, we also have another exciting announcement this week. You might have heard it kind of at the tail end of the last episode, but we have finally launched a Free Mind Patreon hey, account. In my head, I have one of those jugs with coins going on right now, <laughs> just so you know. She <laughs> has like a cashier sounds. It. We have launched it, y'all. Yes, and so we encourage you, you can go to patreon.com slash freemindfm, the same URL for Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. And there, if you support the show with any amount, you get access to bonus content. And we already have some bonus episodes on there. Yep. Um, an extended portion of the interview with Nancy Piercy. And as you listen to this, there'll also be an interview with the Mountain Prophet hey, himself. Himself. Okay. That's right. And so we had a lot of positive feedback on those Mountain Prophet episodes. Mm-hmm. And so if you'd like to hear from the man himself, uh, we have episodes available. We actually have four episodes with him that we'll be releasing on Patreon only. Yep. And so if you could support the show, again, any amount, we'll get you access. You know, more than anything, this just helps us to keep producing these um these episodes and you know normally you put like a a set amount right like three or five dollars right right but but i had confidence in our listeners hey come on someone i had confidence that they wanted to go exceedingly and abundantly (laughs) beyond three to five dollars careful and uh (laughs) We need a trigger warning for this, right? <laughs> and give us that uh, $30 ministry, uh, $40 right. ministry, yay, even 50 But what is what is on there are some goals we have yes. for the show. And these are big, long-term goals, $1,000, $2,000, even $5,000 a month. Yeah, so once, like for instance, once you guys get to collectively $1,000, so everybody together, $1,000 a month, what is our uh, what are we promising our listeners at that point? Well, we actually had a couple people specifically request this. And so if collectively our patreon account uh brings in a thousand dollars a month we will go to double the episodes a week of Fremont. that's right that's two Fremont episodes a week on the normal feed for everyone at all times all over the earth <laughs> two right. episodes a week and so if that's something that you would like to see tell your friends tell your family we, <laughs> tell we're everybody. we are going full-on power team right now you remember the power team when yeah they absolutely like, Man, they're breaking the if ice you, listen if you bring two friends tomorrow night that's right i will jump through this mm. flaming hoop <laughs> With gasoline, that's right. Pour it all over my clothes. If you bring five friends tomorrow night, I will chop oh, three gosh. of my fingers off that's in right. front of you right. and throw them at you. Do you, Do you remember the hot water bottle thing that they used to do? I do not remember the hot water bottle. They would take a hot water there. bottle and blow it up like a balloon until okay. it broke. Oh my god! And I guess that's an impressive thing to do. I've never tried it, but mm. listen, those guys they they were doing it, man. They, they were, they were running across it. the stage and crashing right. and stuff. That's right. Yeah. But that's no, right. for real. Like you know, honestly, where we're where we're heading with this is we want to get. What is it? Five thousand. We get five thousand. Right. Month. So we have the one thousand two episodes a month. If we reach two thousand collectively a month, we'll actually start doing YouTube videos, and so we'll post a YouTube video a month, yep. uh, answering listener questions and do some special interviews in addition to two audio podcasts a month. 
That's, that's a right. second level goal. That's a second level. And that third, that next level goal. <laughs> we got that reach goal, yep. which is $5,000 a month. We will do a YouTube video every week. Every week. With interviews and scholars and do Q&As from you guys, plus our two weekly audio episodes. And that's that's a reach goal. Yeah, man. For a time and effort. But we think it's important. We think this content is something that both Christians and non-Christians are, find useful. We've had some great feedback for in sure. our reviews, even people that don't agree with us yep. and that they still enjoy listening to the show. and so. This would help support the show, help it go long term, and help create more content. Yeah, that you because that's share. really going to open up doors when we get to that level um, to be able yes. to promote this material, to be able to right. put out more graphics and more videos um, through social media outlets right. every week. And I think that's going to expand the impact of this ministry. And that's what we really want to do. If you guys want to, mm-hmm. if you believe in it, you enjoy it, it's helpful to you. We'd love for you just to help partner with us to help us get the word right. out to more people. So. And no amount is too small. And again, any amount that you pledge to give monthly, you'll get access to the bonus episodes immediately. And they're already That's there. Right. Did you have something that I cut you yeah, off? Yeah, just sorry. thank you for all of your support already. We've mm-hmm. got way more listeners than we've ever imagined. And so we're just grateful for that. For those who've given us feedback, we just thank you because it, it just really is encouraging when we know that it's touching hearts. And so we know that we want to be good stewards of this and, and that God is going to take this even further. But it does take resources. It takes time, you know, and to, to get someone that you guys have enjoyed already, like someone to uh, come and stop and, and do an interview with us. You know, sometimes yeah. it takes resources. For and sure. So we are, we are um, desiring to do more with this. And so yeah, it, we need your help. But we do thank you, and we want to let you know that we appreciate you, and um, yeah, y'all are making this happen for us, so yeah. That's awesome. If you Even if you feel like you can't pledge monthly or anything like that, you can also give one time on Patreon, and if you literally, like, money is just too difficult, you can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and be our ambassadors to share Free Mind, share it on your personal social media networks. Share the podcast, share the website, and that even that would. And be I think help. the uh, the stars. What that does is like if somebody listens to a podcast that's kind of like ours, right? Exactly. They'll say you might also like this, and the the yes. more reviews and stuff they put your podcast higher on that list, yeah. so more people see it, right? And, and that's really helped. I think we got like seventy one. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. now. We got seventy one ratings. We are solid five out of five, which oh, is awesome. So yay. thank you for all of you done that. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you guys so yeah. So if you if you haven't done that yet, you just take a little time today, hop on there and do that. It would really help. No, we're super excited. We're about to have John Stone Street is gonna be calling in here in just a minute. And man, this guy, if you haven't ever listen to him i just encourage you to take the impact 360 class but also go on youtube and just look him up man he's an amazing worldview teacher uh great thinker like uh steven said he's the president of the chuck colson center for christian worldview written many incredible books one a couple years ago with brett kunkel on culture and navigating in this latest book we're going to talk about today is life liberty and um, what is it? Life, marriage, and uh, religious liberties. And the subtitle is uh, g- g- something like "Give to Caesar what Caesar's, and give to God what is God's." Mm, and it, um, it's going to be a really good interview. We're looking forward to it. So, hope you guys enjoy. Well, hi, John. It's such an honor to have you on our show today. Can you give our listeners a, just a brief sketch of? Chuck Holson and his ministry and his involvement with political issues and prison ministries and so forth. And we'd love to hear how you got involved with his ministry and eventually became the president. 
Oh man, that's a life story. Right. You got you got two minutes. Go. I, go. <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, I tell you, there was there was no three year plan that brought this about. God brought Chuck Colson into my life um, at a, just a, a, a just an interesting time. I was working with Summit Ministries, had kind of grown passionate about Christian worldview through the work there, and also teaching on, on a on a Christian college campus. But I, what I really loved about Chuck's vision is a couple of things is he wanted to really kind of take it out of the uh, the intellectual elite and really just initiate this call that every single Christian has a mind and they're mm. supposed to love God with it. And every single Christian has a cultural uh, uh, backdrop where God has placed them. In fact, Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 17, that Paul's, you know, put us in a specific, uh, that God has put us in a specific time and place. And so Chuck really understood that if we're supposed to love God with our minds, then cultural engagement and, 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 and we're placed in this time and place, cultural engagement is not the job of just, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the James Dobson's and the Chuck Colson's and, you know, the, the professionals, quote unquote. And it's not just to be had. It's not just to be done in D.C. and Hollywood. It's to be done wherever God's placed any Christian. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I love the, 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 uh, the application of the gospel to every area of life. And for Chuck, of course, that was a journey. Uh, of a guy who was brilliant, gifted, talented, so much so that he landed in the Nixon administration in, in, in his mid-30s and, you know, as, as special counsel. I mean, really right next to the most powerful man in the world in his mid-30s. That's how wow. gifted Chuck was, wow. but got caught up in the corruption of the Nixon White House. And that's a fascinating story uh, that we don't have time to go into. But um, in between, um, uh, you know, the time he left the administration and when the Watergate hearings really heated up, Chuck came to Christ. And that faith, which many people saw as just kind of a jail time conversion, uh, you know, sustained him through prison. He got out of prison, started what became the largest prison ministry in the world, prison fellowship. Uh, but along the way, that 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 brilliance that he had made him ask some different questions, not just how can I help those that are incarcerated, but mm-hmm. Uh, why are so many people being incarcerated in America? What was breaking in culture upstream that was leading to filling the prisons downstream? And that led him to think about Christian theology, Christian worldview, cultural renewal and engagement. And that led him to a whole new chapter in his writing and his reading and his speaking. And uh, when he passed away in 2012, uh, you know, Chuck's legacy is too big for anybody. And so Prison Fellowship is, is, has, has sustained the prison work, which is fantastic. And then we have become kind of the stewards of that part of his legacy that had to do with writing and speaking and Christian worldview and helping Christians think through what God has called them to be uh, in, in this cultural moment. And so, that, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a crazy long story. No one ever planned it. But, hey, here we are. So it's great. So good. OK, you talked about culture and you've done a lot of work and you've got some great teachings and, and stuff I've listened to and I've really enjoyed. Can you give us we're big on definitions for our listeners? Give us your definition of culture and how should we as Christians think about culture? Yeah, well, I, the, the easiest definition sure. of culture is whatever is normal for a group of people. Uh, another way to see it is whatever human beings make of the world. And so that should those two things should help you kind of see that there's a connection there. Uh, when you leave kind of southern culture in the United States and go to New York, it's like going to a different world because what's normal in New York isn't normal in 
you know, southern Louisiana Amen. in every place, right? I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, grateful for that, right? Uh, yeah, and, and, okay. but, but what's normal, that doesn't come out of nowhere. That's mm. a, a, the product of human creation. So when humans are unique among all the animals, all the living creatures, because uh, animals uh, consume from the world, humans make stuff of the world. You know, we don't just eat, we we, we have culinary institutes and, you know, buffets and we innovate, you know, all kinds of different ethnic foods and so on. We don't just have habitats. You know, we build, you know, multi-story apartment units to solve housing crisis in downtown crowded areas. And so humans make stuff of the world and that becomes kind of a normal, uh, that, that to us is what seems normal. And so no, no Christian lives their life and follows Jesus and tries to share their faith in a vacuum. They're doing it in a cultural setting. Mm-hmm. And that cultural setting puts a lot of pressure on us in one way or another. Like in some cultures, it's normal to love your neighbors. In other cultures, it's normal to eat your neighbors. And, and these are very mm-hmm. different realities um, that are both the product of human um you know, worldview and human morality, but also then shapes how we live out our faith and how we live in those and live together as people. And so that's why Christians, we should love the person right in front of us and we should care about our neighbor, but we also have to care about the culture that our neighbor is living in and the culture that's shaping our view of what's right and wrong uh, as as much uh, uh, so, so that we can actually know how to live it out well, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we had the privilege of uh, actually interviewing Nancy Piercy last week, and from her book "Love Thy Body," she actually talked about the the surface of the waves, kind of representing the debates we have, but the tectonic, you know, movements beneath are what what's actually going on at the deep level with worldview. Can you talk a little bit about uh, cult, how cultures impacted by the worldview, and maybe how? our worldview has moved away from the Judeo-Christian framework that this nation was birthed in and how that's impacting culture today. Yeah. So worldview is just kind of the, the idea glasses that we all have. We, we don't just look at the world uh, innocently or in a vacuum. We look at it through a set of fundamental convictions and we may not even be aware what these convictions are. We may not even know we have them. We maybe just have inherited them from our family. You know, if you grew up in a, in a home that was, uh, uh, you, you know that that was that was uh, Christian based. You, you might kind of think Christianly in some areas without ever uh, kind of being intentional about it. But if you just grew up in our culture, you're gonna and, and and your people aren't kind of clear about here's what is true from the Christian faith, and you'll think more like your culture than you will like a Christian. And I think there's a, several areas in which our culture has and kind of the worldview that it's. In, in some ways, even forcing on people has um, shifted in, in recent uh, decades. Uh, you know, one is just the what we call the radical privatization of faith. Mm. Um, so the power of a secular culture is not that it confronts Christian truth claims and proves them false. It doesn't even get that far. What it does is it takes Christian truth claims and all religious truth claims whether it's about the world or about morality specifically, and it privatizes them. It says something like, well, that's what you believe, but, but religion isn't knowledge. You know, religious truth isn't facts. It's faith. It's different. So you can't force it on anyone else. So the statement, like, for example, that God created the world, look, 
that might be a true statement. That might be a false statement, but it can't be just a personal private belief, right? Mm, right. It's either true or it's not. But secularism takes religious truth claims like God created the world, that marriage is between a man and a woman, that gender is something that you're born with that's connected with both biological, chromosomal, and, and, and emotional realities. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. And it takes all those things and it turns it into uh, kind of a personal private thing that is not even allowed kind of in, in some areas of the public square. So that's one of the main ways that culture, uh, the, the kind of the dominant worldview of culture has has changed things. I think, though, the most the one that we feel most coherently is uh, is on the question, one of the fundamental worldview questions, which is what is a human being? What does it mm. mean to be wow. me? What is my identity? And, um, you know, we look at so many of the things that have shifted, for example, in the area of sexuality. And we think that they're kind of moral things like, you know, the things that were once morally right are now morally wrong and vice versa, which, of course, is true. But underneath that moral shift that our world has seen has been a anthropological shift. In other words, the moral changes are the fruit, not the root. The root is that we no longer see people as fundamentally uh, either, you know, in the Judeo Christian framework made in the image of God in kind of the larger Western world as as kind of metaphysical creatures who are uh, the, the essence of who we are is kind of what we believe not what we do. What we do is determined by what we believe. And the sexual revolution has flipped that on its head. And so now the most important thing about me in our culture is our sexual inclinations and urges. So it's what we do, not what we believe. And um, that is a radical shift then that has led to the the identity politic uh, that we're seeing almost in every area of culture, especially, by the way, in higher education. Wow. No, you're so right. And I think that's that seems to so flow true. into this new book that you've uh, co-edited and uh, titled Life, Marriage, and Religious Liberty. And the subtitle, I love, it's What Belongs to God, What Belongs to Caesar. Can you talk a little bit about maybe this book and then how culture kind of flows into politics and informs these major issues that we're dealing with today? Yeah. So really, the book is a collection of essays. Uh to reflect on a document that Chuck Colson led uh, the production of 10 years ago. Uh, Chuck Colson worked with the eminent political philosopher of our time, Robbie George at Princeton, and then one of the great theologians of our day, uh, of our time as well, Timothy George of Beast and Divinity School. And, and really, it was a statement of clarity and conscience for believers on those three issues, life, marriage, and religious liberty. Now, those aren't the only three issues at all, but there's a level at which those three issues are fundamental. Mm. That if you don't know what it means to be human, if you don't get the life question right, it's going to be hard to get poverty or race or, you know, um, climate change or anything else right. If you don't get the uh, marriage question right, you're not going to get family, society, education, the role of law right. And, and those three men really saw that we were headed into a time period where our convictions as believers would be tested deeply on that, uh, on, in those three areas. Now, the life issue had been around for a while, but the marriage issue was hotly under the debate. And they really realized that, look, if the definition of marriage changed politically, then the rights of conscience for people who uh, you know, disagreed with this change, that they would really be under threat. And a lot of people thought they were um, overstating it. I thought they were overstating it, honestly, <laughs> at the time. And it turned out, obviously, that they were exactly right. So really what the book did is we, we got 15 eminent thinkers in those five areas. 
or sorry, in those three areas. So basically five essays in each of those three areas and ask them to talk about what does Christian conviction look like today? And you mentioned the subtitle, what belongs to God, what belongs to Caesar. And that, and that to me is the most important line of the original document, which was called, by the way, the Manhattan Declaration. And 500,000 Americans signed it in 2009. Uh, but, the do, but, but the final line says, we will ungrudgingly render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar but we will never render to Caesar what belongs to God. Hmm. And the story of America in the last, you know, several decades, and especially over the last decade, is Caesar claiming things that belong to God. I mean, that's really what happens in Roe v. Wade, that the women's, you know, so-called women's right to choose, um, you know, life is something that belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the Supreme Court. Marriage? Uh, marriage is there's a reason that none of our founding documents ever define marriage because the definition of marriage was never up in the air until yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the government's job is not to define marriage. It's to recognize marriage because marriage is a part of reality like gravity. And then, of course, our conscience. Um, we've seen historically what happens when people believe that their deeply held beliefs are subject first and foremost to the state and not to God. Right now, in the other other parts of the world, like Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, where you have a, uh, you know, the people of Hong Kong protesting China and, and their in attempts, China's attempts to continue to reach into what's supposed to be a free area of Hong Kong. Most of the leaders of that, the, the, those protests, they're actually believers and they understand, they realize because they've seen it up close and personal that the Chinese government is claiming the conscience of Chinese people. That's what they're doing. That's why they're putting Muslim Uyghurs into concentration camps and, and Buddhist Falun Gong, you know, followers into prison camps and, and, and just horrific, horrific things. And it's actually worse than that. I don't want to talk about it here on the thing, but <laughs> gotcha. things like gotcha. harvesting no organs and all kinds Yeesh. of stuff. And that line is so important that, you know, as Christians, we believe that ultimately it doesn't matter what the government says marriage is. Our conscience belongs ultimately to God. And so we're going to need to think that through and hold those lines as long as we can. And when those lines are, if those lines are lost, like they are in other parts of the world for our brothers and sisters, then we're going to have to be very careful about what we often call a theology of getting fired, a theology of getting, you know, cut from the team, like we saw with a women's soccer player this year at the U.S. World Cup. Yeah. Uh, You know, a a, a theology of, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, losing your pension, a theology of going to prison. These are things that we haven't had to thought, think of. And I, I don't think we're there like our brothers and sisters, but man, we can see it from here. Yeah. And so we might want to start having that conversation. That's really what the book's all about. No, that's great, John. So There's good. so many, man, so many things we could talk more about there. I think one thing that sticks out to us, you know, we're, we're on the, uh, the outer edge of the millennial <laughs> age group. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you know, the thing is the fact that we're not taught civics anymore in school and we're not taught first principles and, and fundamentals of government and worldview. And so we're often just left to like, we're, we're kind of, uh, victims of social media and mainstream media. And so we see these like hot button issues and we say, man, we should bring justice here and we want to be against racism and all that stuff's good. But I think oftentimes we don't understand those fundamental first freedoms. And that's one thing that I've heard you talk about often, how 
important, like religious liberties is I think we naturally hear that and we think, yeah, you know, we just want to be free to worship in our Mm -hmm. churches. But can you explain the difference between what's sometimes called freedom of worship and religious liberty and why that's so instrumental to making any progress in areas that are more surfacey that we think of like, you know, systematic racism and that type of thing that might help younger people that don't get that connection? Yeah, well, the, the the fundamental thing is that um, the, about religious liberty is answering the question, where do human rights come from? Um, and if you start with human rights come from the government, then the government can take them away. But if human rights come from God, then they're, um, as our founders wrote, unalienable, right? They, they can't be changed. Now, it may be that a government violates those freedoms, but when they do, they're actually violating God-given rights. And and that's been one of the unique things about the American experience. The other thing is, is that, listen, freedom of worship, which is often the phrase that's used for religious liberty, and it's a terrible phrase. You can find freedom of worship almost everywhere in the world. They have freedom of worship in Cuba. They have freedom of worship in China. They have freedom of worship in North Korea. In other words, freedom of worship is your, your freedom to believe whatever you want in the privacy of your own head and your own home. And maybe your own house of worship, although China's blowing up churches right now. Hmm. Um, but the America has never had freedom of worship. Um, we had freedom of religion, which is not the right to believe whatever you want in your own head and your own home, but the right to order your public life around those beliefs that within limits um, that ultimately you can order your business. You can order your family. You can order your shopping habits. You can order your public lives, your voting habits. Uh, around these things that you think are ultimately, uh, uh, you know, important. And increasingly, what we have seen is an attempt to privatize religious belief. Now, of course, we already talked about where, what worldview that comes from. That comes from a secular pr- perspective. But then it's forced through the institutions of government. That's why worldview matters. Is what worldview, um, as we say, ideas have consequences. I, our worldview ideas actually take birth in these other governmental institutions and education and so on. And so we, we, we've seen then that the space to operate our lives around these deeply held convictions is becoming more and more limited. And so I often talk about this with pastors. Uh, when uh, I had a pastor just a few uh, weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to make me, you know, perform a gay wedding in my church. I'm like, look, they... The protections against pastors uh, are pretty strong in the United States, and the Supreme Court has been pretty consistent. I don't see that as a as a potential challenge anytime in the near future. Okay, but that's not what you're held to, Pastor. I told him, I was like, look, while you're holding on to your right to order your ministry around your deeply held beliefs, the baker and the florist and the photographer in your church are being forced to violate their deeply held beliefs in the way that they live their lives. And this threat right now isn't the ability of pastors to preach what they believe from the pew. It's the ability of parishioners to live out their belief in the public square. And if you believe pastor, like you should, because the Reformation taught us this, that um, all work is holy work before God and that there's no sacred and secular dichotomy then you should support the freedom of religion of your parishioners as much as you do your own. And um, and that's where I think that's where the encroachments that, that we're really seeing. I mean, it'd, be, it'd been unthinkable for a state to harass 
a business owner like we saw the state of Colorado harass the Baker Jack Phillips or right. the state of Washington yeah. harassed Baron L. Stutzman. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And so, um, you know, these things matter. And by the way, let me just say this. Sorry, I'm, I know I'm rambling. Good. No, Let me no, just go ahead. This. So good. Go ahead. Because a lot, of, a lot of people are like, well, you're just trying to protect your own rights. And Christians should believe that, uh, that, that these things are good for everybody. And so we shouldn't just guard our own religious freedom. We should guard everybody's religious freedom. And secondly, Christians have been Christians in America have been by far the most effective, outspoken supporters and uh, defenders of people who are facing religious persecution around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason we should guard religious freedom in America is so that we can guard our ability to stand up for our brothers and sisters who are facing a level of persecution that we can't even imagine here. Who's going to speak up for the Chinese Christians? Who's going to speak up for the Iranian Christian? Um, you, you, you don't have secular nations coming to their aid by and large. America is the only nation that has an ambassador at large for religious freedom. And, and so to, to, it's because we value religious freedom. Uh, and the more and more religious freedom becomes a bad word, which is, as one of the authors in our book talks about, you know, that in the last 10 years, one of the developments is religious freedom went from being kind of, oh, yeah, that's a good thing to, well, that's code words for discrimination. Mm. And uh, if we lose religious freedom and our understanding of it, then our brothers and sisters around the world will suffer because of it, too. That's huge. And I think, man, that's been so instructive from listening to you guys that I think you've used the analogy too. That we're cutting the branch off that we're sitting on. And if we yeah, lose those, yeah. those first principles, Definitely. like nothing else can happen, like we lose everything. And so that that's important for Christians to understand when we vote, we need to really understand where people stand on these fundamental principles. But I think you have, I have a question, John, you, as you work with and, and travel around churches and, and hear from pastors, you know, my question is, how do you think we're doing as a body of believers, particularly with the pastors? Um, I see a few pastors that are very present and very vocal on social media, but then we're so divided those persons get a lot of flack from the body. And then you have pastors who believe you shouldn't get involved with politics. They just preach the gospel and that's it. How do you think we're doing generally? And where is one to learn, if not in the church, the importance of holding on to these religious liberties? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a hard thing yeah. uh, for many pastors uh, because of uh, these are very controversial issues. And sure. you can't get into some of the religious freedom issues without getting into some of the sexual issues. And right now, that's a really tough thing for pastors to speak on. Yeah. I think there are remarkable examples um, of, uh, you know, for example, one of the contributors to the book is Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. I oh, mean, yeah. when it came to the marriage issue in California, mm -hmm. when it has come to media interviews uh, on radio uh, and television, and even on, you know, got shows like Larry King and other places, he's just been unequivocally clear. This is what the Christian um, uh, worldview uh, demands. And, and, and also, here's why you want Christians to be around. Mm, and the that. good that Christianity brings the world. And that, and that's one of the things that I think we've got to be able to do. It's interesting. If you go back to the very first apologists, the very first people who wrote in defense of Christians uh, against pagans and defended the truths of Christianity and argued against the truth mm -hmm. of uh, pagan worldviews, 
uh, one of the arguments, and this is like Justin Martyr and Tertullian and so on, and of course they're doing it not just to say, hey, here's my worldview, it's better than yours. They're also doing it to say, you know, stop killing Christians. So they were actually writing in defense as much uh, against Christian persecution as anything else. And one of the fascinating things they would say is, um, and Justin Martyr writes this in particular, is like, you know, you don't want to kill Christians, not only because Christianity is true and paganism is false, but because Christians are the best citizens you have. Wow, um, so good. And, and I think that's one of the things that's at stake as well and why we need pastors to help bring this up is yeah. that it's one thing to think that Christianity is wrong. It's another thing to think that Christianity is dangerous and evil. Hmm. And it's becoming more and more common to do that. Now, that means we need two responses and we, we call it think and live. Uh, you've got to be able to articulate why Christianity has brought good to the world. While why Christian conviction doesn't isn't bad for the world, it's actually good for the world. And that's a, a harder that's a harder task today than it was five years ago. But we've also then got to be able to point to real life examples of Christians doing remarkable things. Uh, just this week on our website, we covered the, um, uh, the the Southern Baptists and how they're running to the border and trying in, in the middle of, you know, so many of them being politically conservative and having views on immigration. They're running in and trying to bring some help and healing and some care to migrants that are in this middle of this crisis on the border. I think that's fascinating. That is awesome. Um, and, uh, but it's what Christians have always done. They've run to the plague, they've run to Katrina, they've run to Hurricane Harvey, they've, they've run to, to the tornadoes, they, you know, they, they've run into war zones, they've run into uh, areas of persecution. So we've got to both live and, but we also have to speak. We also have to articulate what's true. Uh, because Christianity is fundamentally a message, not just a lifestyle. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of what's true. And um, so, yeah, it's a both and, but it, 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 these are tough days to be sure. Definitely. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, John, thanks so much for coming on here yes. today, man. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on. Real quick before we run, can you just tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can get some of your material? What's the best way and what, what resources do you recommend for them on your Oh, your yeah. Website? Well, the best. I think the best thing that we do is a daily commentary called Breakpoint. It's a three and a half minute. And, and, and Chuck Colson started this years ago. If your listeners remember listening to Christian radio, they, you know, they, they would have heard Chuck Colson from Washington, D.C. Chuck Colson with Breakpoint. <laughs> well, we carry that. Well, we it. carry that on. Of course, you can also get it through podcasts. Just go wherever you get your podcast. Just look up the Breakpoint podcast. Uh, also, you can subscribe if you come to our website, which is breakpoint.org. And that's a daily dose of cultural sanity. I mean, that's really what that is. It's a daily <laughs> dose of, of Christian worldview. Yeah, because it's crazy. I mean, yeah, people are always like, how do you guys come up with something to say every day? I'm like, are you paying attention? Right. <laughs> the hardest part is what not. Narrowing it down, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. So that's the best, uh, I think, the best kind of single source. Um, and then we also have a, um, I think, a, uh, 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 oh, yeah. Let me, I also wanted to mention, too, about the book, uh, Life, Marriage, and Religious Liberty. You can find that on our website, breakpoint.org. You can also go to Amazon and pick that up as well. And I'm also on Twitter. But I always tell people, if you're not on Twitter, stay off it. It's yes. You know what I'm soul. saying? Yes. <laughs> Good advice there. So, yeah, there you go. But thanks so much for having me on today, guys. Oh, man. Thanks so much, John. It's an honor, truly. Appreciate it, man. We're in a Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that interview with John Stone Street. Again, we encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash freemindfm. If you'd like to interact with us, you can do on Twitter and Instagram at freemindfm, on Facebook, freemindpodcastfm, and you can send us an email, 
podcast at freemind.fm. And we check that all the time. And we'd love to interact with you there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.